Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. Skills can be learned, but who a person is, is what determines the successful hire. This all comes down to core value alignment with the organization. Shared values create a much tighter bond and a more engaged team member. The correct answer is rarely hiring for skills. So consider alternative hiring initiatives like an apprenticeship program designed purely to foster career growth. I'm Rick Gerard and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win the right hire. We share insights from top performing rebel entrepreneurs, disruptors, and industry experts like our guest today, Mr. Nicholas Wyman. Nicholas is the president of IWSI America. Nicholas is an international expert, particularly zeroing in on CTE education, apprenticeship, and training models for the US, UK, Germany, Switzerland, and Australia. Wyman writes uh, opinion pieces for Forbes, Quartz, and Fortune, and appearances on national public radio. He has notched up education writer on LinkedIn, which makes Nicholas the perfect expert for today's topic. Nicholas, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Hey, great to be here. I'm excited to have you. We've talked offline and we're going to have a little fun talking about apprenticeship programs. Today, we're going to discuss why an apprenticeship program might be the key to unprecedented company growth for your organization. And then we're going to talk about a six-step process to build a program into your company. Sound like a plan? A great idea. Let's dive in. I find that even today, I talk to CEOs. And often I get, you know, we're just still having a hard time finding people. Sure. It's a crazy world we live in. And people keep saying to me, when things return to normal. That's never going to happen. I don't think it is going to happen. And I think this is an opportunity for companies to reconsider how things are going to play out. And competing with staff and human capability is going to be something that really is going to set companies apart. Here's the challenge. Everybody's looking for skills. I'm looking for somebody who does this, that, and the other thing. And I can't find them anywhere. Why not find people who align with your organization that you can train to do that work. It sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? I mean, why, <laughs> if it's simple, why isn't everyone doing it? Here's the thing, this idea of a skills gap, some academics call it the skills gap, or I call it people without jobs and jobs without people has existed way before the pandemic, way before Corona. People were putting jobs, promising projects were sitting on the shelf because people didn't have the skills they needed to get the job done. So the question is, we could sit here and say, well, whose fault is it? Is it educators haven't been training people for the right things? Is it companies haven't taken enough steps? What else could it be? Is it just people aren't motivated? People are set in their ways about what it is they might want to do. So why or how? I suppose it really doesn't matter, does it? But the situation is we are where we are now. This is the post-pandemic future, we hope. (laughs) (laughs) Post-apocalyptic future. (laughs) Right, exactly. So I think it's time to refresh, reboot, reimagine. And the time to do that is, I think, now. How do we do this? Let's talk about some of the challenges that companies have. So from a company perspective, hey, everybody holds the responsibility. You can't blame one party over another. We're here, let's fix it. Absolutely. And I think that you have to take destiny into your own hands. People often say, well, government's got a key role to play. Respectfully, I've got a lot of friends in government and actually got a few clients who are government. Government absolutely has a role to play. But respectfully, if you're waiting for government to solve your skills problems, you're going to be waiting a long time. Government can help out to create an environment for employers to want to employ, but they're certainly not going to knock on the door and say, 
I'm here to solve your skills solution. No, it solely rests on the entrepreneurs and the people who are looking to advance their careers or looking to change their career. Absolutely. And I've had time to reorganize my bookshelf in my office, I must say, in the last couple of months. And I've been moving books around and looking at each book and deciding whether I want to cherish this book and whether I still like it. And I found this old classic from Michael Porter, Competitive Advantage. Do you remember it? No, I've never read that. He's a Harvard professor. It was one of the early iconic business books on how you can create advantage for your company. If you're looking at aircraft, people generally can build similar sorts of aircraft or similar sorts of vehicles, manufacture similar sorts of products. But a place that companies can really compete is this idea of human capital. I think that now more than ever, as companies are starting to rebuild, rebound, and people are actually looking for market opportunities. Yes, you could rebuild, rebound, but maybe you've got a great idea and maybe this is a great time to get into the market and get the thing off the ground. Here's my thought. You have a lot of people that are coming out of college that can't find jobs. You also have a lot of people that are what my friend calls modern elders, like my age group and above, that have been displaced for whatever reason. I like that. Modern Modern elders. elders that have been displaced that are looking to want to do something that can contribute a whole lot. So you have these two great value pools to pull from. How do we take advantage of that? Well, I think we probably need to divide them into the two categories. Let's talk about young people. Young people have been disproportionately affected or impacted by COVID. If you know any younger, particularly high schoolers, they're just not getting that experience. They've been locked down, quarantined, they're online, they're just not getting that same experience. And we really need to encourage these young people to come out and get back engaged, start having conversations. And as you noted, the education systems are still trying to operate in a pre-pandemic way. I heard this incredible story about a young lady who went all the way to Canada to get enrolled in a college program and she went through the quarantine 14 days, arrives and the night before the classes started, got an email to say, oh, all classes are now online. She could have just done it from her family home. And even if she did do it online or in classrooms, if you're sitting six or eight feet apart from people and you've got your masks on and all these things are going on, you're just not getting that same experience. And even having someone teach you just simply a talking head at the front of the classrooms, never been a great way to learn for a lot of people like me. I'm a learn by doing kind of guy. And I didn't realize it actually. And my father was an academic and he really didn't pick up on it. And people were like, hey, what's the matter with Nick? He can't focus. He can't concentrate. I was not the sort of student who liked to learn from tests and memorization. And I'm not are, that guy either. Right. I'm a learn by doing guy. We're going to get there eventually, but apprenticeship is one great way. My father had many ideas about what young Nick could do. Could he come into the family business? Maybe psychology? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and I do a bit of career coaching and mentoring, but I'm certainly not a psychologist or a family psychologist or counselor. But I actually went off and did an apprenticeship as a chef. I don't think I mentioned that to you. Yeah. So I traveled, went to the UK, worked in some great hotels. And that discipline that I learned as an apprentice, yes, I can cook, but I also learned how to organize and how to relate to people. So I got this combination of the technical training, but also some practical skills. Like when you walk into an office, you go into the boss or the manager and you bold up and shake their hand, look them in the eye. No, you don't do that. You don't want to be (laughs) doing that at all. Not anymore. I don't think you're allowed to shake hands anymore, right? No, absolutely. You've got to retrain on that one. We've got two pools to pull from and we're going to talk about apprenticeships because this is something you have experience with. You have a pretty large company right now with people and how many apprenticeships? We've got apprentices at any one time. We've got about 800 to 1,000 apprentices working in varying locations around the world. We've graduated over 20,000 people and actually we didn't say before. So we talked about 
about young people, but the second group absolutely is people who've lost their job, displaced, their industry is closing down. So you've got this pool of people who potentially can come and work in an environment where they can earn and learn. So it's an earning, learning type of situation. And they're chomping at the bit to be in an organization that really cares about them. Well, absolutely. We've got to remember sitting, running in parallel to this conversation is we've got globalization and technological change. A lot of experts, maybe not futurists, but a lot of experts have been saying, well, the rate of technological change has has just started to really go into hyperdrive over this COVID period. So we need to teach people not only the skills for today, but also for tomorrow's workplace. And one advantage of an apprenticeship, as I said, is you're learning in parallel. You're learning the technical skills, but we also want to make sure we build into people really practical things like attitude, having the right attitude, resilience, how to adapt to change, particularly for a young person. I mean, they're getting pretty good at it. I mean, this has been just one out of the box for my, I've got a 16-year-old daughter and I just couldn't imagine being in her situation that she's pretty much been on the end of a cell device for the last 12 months and that's how she's related to her friends and it's been really tough on people and I think we've got to say, how can we get people back out and back working? Why is establishing an apprenticeship program important to a company? Why should they consider this? Well, I think there's many ways that companies can respond or react. And I have been practicing the opposite of what I preach, which is I've taken a very short range, fairly narrow view to survive. We've been adjusting, I like to call it levers of control, another book, we can talk about that another day, but I've had these little levers of control and I've just been focusing on what's happening next week, next month, haven't done a whole lot of planning for next year. I'm really focused in the short term. But I think what's important is that now we're seeing vaccines coming through. There's all sorts of other economic changes. There's political changes. There's all sorts of things changing. I think people need to stand back, reframe and say, right, let's take a longer range of view to this whole skills development proposition and building a program like an apprenticeship program, you can't just get out of bed and say, I want to build an apprenticeship program today and have results tomorrow. This is something that's going to take- That's a long-term play. It's a long-term play. It's going to get a proper program up and running. This is at minimum, a quality apprenticeship is about two years in duration, two to three years in duration. To get graduates, by the time you plan, you're up for a two or three year investment in your time. And so if you want to do that and you're looking forward to 2025, 2025, wow. But what can a company expect from an ROI perspective? If you're taking a more long range view, will that really spur on growth? Will that really help the company hit their goals quicker? Yeah, look, look, absolutely. So if we come back to the Michael Porter proposition of competitive advantage, I'm an advocate in this is definitely a way that regardless of where technology goes, we're going to need to see humankind and technology work together in harmony. So there's always going to be a role for people. So if anything, skills are going up in the standard of skills. The lower repetitious jobs, the highly mechanized jobs, these are the jobs that are going to be replaced by automation. And they're already being replaced. And that's why we have a lot of displaced people. I think there's a lot of jobs that have been automated already. Right. So the level of skills training required and the technological advancement is really going to cause a shift in the way that people are taking and learning skills. So for your company, that was a very long 
long-winded answer. But for, <laughs> but for your company, what's the ROI? What's in it for the company? Well, as this long-term play, there's a lot of reports on apprenticeship which are available on the US uh, Department of Labor website. There's an institute in Washington, a public policy institute called the Urban Institute that's done some ROI work on apprenticeship. And it talks about $1.57, I think $1.57 return for every dollar invested. Now, there's all sorts of economic formulas, but the simple boil down reason is that the first couple of months, the person might not be overly productive while they're learning their way. But if you're able to sequence the training of this apprentice, remembering that you're learning on and off the job. So if you're able to sequence the off the job training in a way that the person is deemed proficient during their training, there's a way that companies can actually become productive. So in actual fact, I'd almost call it productive people quickly. There's one. I don't think that doesn't sound too good. But No, I like the, that. The idea is, so you don't need to wait three years till a person qualifies to have a productive employee. Apprentices can be productive within maybe weeks is a bit ambitious, but within a couple of months with the right sequencing of training and the right program design, you can have yourself a productive employee. All right, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional resources and content to help you land great hires. Our guest today is Mr. Nicholas Wyman. He is the president of IWSI America. And we're discussing an apprenticeship program and why it is important for you to look at this opportunity that we have here with the current environment and think outside the box in finding talent. Let's talk about how we build an apprenticeship program. It seems like a big, laborious effort to be able to do that, but where do we start? Well, look, there's about 150 steps, but for, <laughs> for your listeners out there, and because we talked before the program and you said, Nick, you got to get real. I know you Aussies like to go on a bit, but <laughs> let's, get a de- let's get down to six steps. And I think that I always like to, I've got this great mate of mine, his name's Wick, very entrepreneurial guy. He I like him like, already. I love that name. Wick. Is it John Wick? No, he's a, <laughs> he's a Kiwi, very entrepreneurial guy, and he's like always at me about this strategy structure people. Wait, you're friends with a Kiwi? I thought Aussies and Kiwis didn't really well, quite get along. you know, we have our moments. Okay, you know, okay. We, We've actually got our own little bubble down there, not that they'd allow me, and I'm uh, persona non grata, but anybody from the US can't travel down there. They're having a great time as long as you don't leave Australia or New Zealand. But Got it. Strategy, structure, and people. And often you see companies start with, well, what people, and start trying to fit a person into a particular role. That's a whole other program. But I think that the first step in our six-step plan is really identifying the, I don't even know if this is a word in the Queen's English, we'll have to look it up later, apprenticeable occupations. So you- Sounds you, good to me. Well, we'll run Well, we can, we can coin our right. new word. You've got to decide. We what, can make up shit here. It's a podcast. Right. We'll, 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 <laughs> we'll wind it right back and we'll say, you need to think about what jobs you think can be apprenticed. It doesn't sound as good. There's a whole lot of different jobs within an organization that could be apprenticed. Now, not all of them might be suitable, but here's something about apprenticeships we didn't mention before. Going back, there's probably listeners out there going, hang on, isn't that that construction building thing? Or isn't that something that's specifically run by unions? Or isn't that a television show? No, it's none of the above. It's actually available in healthcare, in IT. So think broadly. So step one, think broadly about- So how would it be different though from an internship? Same thing in a way? Yeah, sometimes internships are unpaid. There's a few 
few quirks actually. We can maybe put a link up later, but I wrote a report called It's Time. It's available online. You can download it. It doesn't cost you anything. And there's a table in there that really spells out the difference between internship, training only. So if you go to a community college and apprenticeship, but the basis of an apprenticeship is the duration. Sometimes internships are not as structured as an apprenticeship. An apprenticeship is two years or more in duration. And they are paid, right? They are paid. They're yeah. all paid. and it all Most st- internships now are paid too. I right. mean, you see very few that are unpaid. Look, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that it's also got to do with, it needs to start with this proposition with an apprenticeship. What is the employer's skills need? So that ties nicely into identify the apprenticeable occupation. So company is saying, these are the skills I need moving forward forward. They might come up with a list of 25 job roles. They need to cross that out and they need to pick two or three. They need to focus. It's all about focus. So let's say you've identified two or three occupations that you would like to set up an apprenticeship program. Let's give it a for example. If I'm a smaller tech company and I'm thinking, hey, I want to set up an apprenticeship program, what would I target? So you might go through your organization now and there could be 25 or 30 job roles, but desktop support might be something that is really suited to the apprenticeship model where a person can do some combination of online learning. They might be able to attend some classroom training if they can find a state that hasn't locked down their education systems. And then they actually get the -the on-the-job work experience. Software development, desktop support, there's all sorts of different occupations within IT and tech. But the thing is that apprenticeships work better at scale. So if you're running a small, medium, even a large organization, rather than have 25 apprentices doing 25 different occupations, you're better off having two or three occupations and having three or four apprentices, if you're at scale in each occupation, it's just easier to organize the training. You've got a cohort of people going through the system. You'll find like-minded people. You might be able to get some of the training delivered in a class of ideal class size would be sort of 14, 15 students. And they have that connection. I think that's a great way to go. That makes a lot of sense rather than having one or two people. So you can hire a class of people at one time who come through and they're filling certain roles. I looked at, there was a state, one of the states on the East Coast, and I went to do a bit of work for them and they gave me a list of all their apprentice occupations and they came out with it looked like the old encyclopedia in the good old days. It was like this voluminous book. And I'm like, wow, how many apprentices have you got? Like 40,000, 50,000 across the state? 432. And the reason is every page was one different occupation. They had 432 occupations. And each time they were trying to organize a training program and try to find someone to teach it. And it's just not efficient. Look, we've got to be efficient. One apprentice for each position. One apprentice for each position. It really is about you want to get this program to scale. So always in the background, you've got strategy, structure, people, And then you want to think about economies of scale because the more people you've got in your programs, the more bang for your buck you're going to get. We've identified the apprenticeable, that's even hard to say, occupations. Now what do I do? You need to get some like-minded people within your organization and successful programs that I've seen when I was an apprentice back in the 80s. I know it's hard to believe, but (laughs) back in the 80s. Back in the 80s. I remember the 80s. I was there too. Yeah. Well, I had a great mentor. So this isn't my supervisor. This is a mentor, a coach mentor. So somebody that I had this relationship with that I could pretty much tell them everything. So it wasn't just my supervisor telling me what to do, but I think you need to identify some coaches and mentors and you need to get an internal team. If you're in a mid-sized company, you know, who do you want to have on that team? You need people 
people from the front line. You need to have the executives on board that fully supporting this. And you have to have leadership really driving this effort because if the leaders aren't driving it and they're just putting it in place, it's going to be successful. If you don't have top-down support, you're right. That's the end of the program. I've seen many a great idea and you get people who are so passionate. And Look, I must say, maybe because of this pandemic, there's a couple of bosses out there who are going to have a bit more of a broad mind into different ways to bring people into their companies. They really need to open up their mind. Regardless, you can't build this from a bottom down. It has to have rock solid. Now, whether that means a board, owners, you need to get them on board and say, hey, we actually have a problem. This is a way that we can compete. Here's a bit of the ROI data. If they're numbers people, give them some of that economic stuff, whatever it takes them to convince them. We're so- talking to you entrepreneurs and business leaders. This is on you. You're building this plan out. You need to drive this thing. Don't just give it to your HR department or give it to somebody down the road and expect that it's going to be successful. Right. So we're going to call that 2A. All right. So we've got one and two. <laughs> so, but look, I think it is around the people element. So yeah. it's, it's getting the executive support. So to sum up that second point, you need to build a team internally, but you need to get top-down support. The internal team, what do you need from an internal team standpoint? How many people do you need? It depends on the size of your company. You don't Let's have to Let's just say have small it. to mid-sized company. If you're a small to mid-sized company, two or three people, you want to have somebody from the administration function, whether you've got an HR department or somebody who's in the office kind of environment, maybe someone from out in the field who's relating with the customers. And sometimes you might be able to turn on to people who either retired, left the organization or interested in doing some part-time work or network. Network. Your mentors don't have to be employees. Just remember that. You might have people in your network and you'd be surprised that as you go on in life, you know, I find so many people are less focused on how much am I getting paid and what's my remuneration. They're actually interested in doing something for mankind and mentoring people, particularly mentoring younger people. Um, you find a lot of people who are interested in doing that and giving back. Yeah, that's very true. And asking for help, which we don't tend to do, is... And don't lose that, don't lose that talent. Is You've got people marching off in to retirement. Don't let somebody leave your organization, give them some cheesy service award. Some of them are quite tasteful, but don't give them some cheesy service award, a virtual send-off now because you sort of can't have a big gathering, right? So, so you, give them the watch and keep them involved. Give them the watch and say, hey, look, I've got this idea and I'd like you to be involved. And some of the best coaches and mentors in my programs that I run are people from very diverse backgrounds. So don't think that someone to be a successful mentor, if we look at an automotive technician, for instance, the person doesn't have to have been an automotive tech for their life. They could be someone who's had a finance or legal background, but they need to have life experience. That's what they need. You mentioned diversity. If you're creating this program, having this open to not just young people, but modern elders as well, it creates a lot more diversity. And then, of course, that's going to spur innovation within your company. It's going to spur growth just naturally. Absolutely. Just getting getting in some fresh blood. Absolutely. All right. So what's step three? External partners, you need to have training. So there needs to be training. You may have an in-house training department that we were using as a small to mid-sized organization. Unlikely they have a whole training function set up so that you can either go two different directions here. Who would be an external partner that you can hire that actually does apprenticeship programs could build one for your organization? Well, so there's organizations that can help with the technical support. So I mentioned before that Urban Institute, they've got a project at the moment where they offer technical support for organizations and they don't charge anything for that. But if you were building the program yourself, I would start with an education provider like a community college or a private training provider and see what training's available. And you may need to adapt or adjust that. 
because you may have specific needs. Now, the idea of customization of training is really important. You can't just deliver this stock standard boilerplate training from five years ago. We were talking about IT as the example before. Imagine that. Imagine if I gave you an IT textbook. I mean, the day it's printed, it's out of date, right? So (laughs) So very true. So you've got to think about really cool ways to train people. Now, handing someone a textbook or sitting in front of a screen might not necessarily be the best way. There's plenty of online resources. But think about how you deliver that training, particularly for young people, in a way that's engaging. I've got a nine-year-old, gamification. I mean, this boy, he's pretty handy, particularly after the COVID lockdowns. He's very handy on all the different PlayStation and all the rest of it. So when he gets to job-ready age and he's thinking about careers, if you can somehow link some of his interests into your organization, that's going to be a win-win. Totally. I totally gamify management of my daughter. I have a 10-year-old who everything is a little contest. I have to have little rewards for just brushing your teeth. Just to get her to do Does it augmented? Does it show up in augmented or sort of augmented reality you're able to? So sort of three-dimensional <laughs> augmented reality. Man, the, that would be so pushing. much easier if it did. It's probably coming. No, but. I'm in real time. Right. <laughs> Very good. Very good. All right. So uh, any other external partners? Now, when we talked before, you talked about there's funding assistance that you can get to build out this program as well, right? Look, absolutely. Have a look locally, but particularly within your state. Free money to hire people. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And look at this, look at any funding that you can attract. Should not be the main reason, but it absolutely, seed funding helps build a better program. Certainly don't go into this to chase around incentives, but if you can find a way to offset some of the startup costs, it could just be training, training material. So that's either state or federal. I definitely have a look at that. And also quite often there's employment providers at the local level, there's intermediaries, there's actually a new breed of intermediaries, an interesting word, but this is organizations who are set up probably similar to staffing agencies to help people design apprentice programs. So what's that for? So we've got our external partners. We've got the team. We really need to work out, well, what are we going to pay people? Because you mentioned before about interns. We were talking off show that some internships are not paid. Most are paid. Every apprenticeship must be paid. So you need to work out your wage schedule and you need to set your training goals. So these are like your performance metrics that you're going to gauge people by. Absolutely. You need to have a lot of structure to this part of your program because continual improvement is going to be critical. I find this is a huge failure point for a lot of companies. They don't have that structure when, even if you look at job descriptions, they have an idea of the work that needs to be done, but they don't really have it mapped out like a syllabus for a college course where you're going to tackle these things at this time frame. So however you want to design this model in your mind, depending on whether you're a person who sees things in pictures, but we could draw in sort of virtual augmented reality now. But if I had a whiteboard, which we don't, which is a good thing, I'd start to draw a diagram and you'd notice that the diagram is a closed loop. It's a circle. It's going to be continuous improvement of this program. So you've always got to evaluate after each group of apprentices have gone through because people sit there and worry and say, oh, but this isn't perfect and I might not get it right and I should. And these are all the reasons why not to start a program. My advice is get it as good as you think you can get it kick the thing off. And then iterate. And then, exactly, yeah. exactly. Don't sweat the small stuff. I can guarantee you, I've been in this for many, many years and I still always tweak and adjust. COVID, adjust. Economic to me, it downturn, makes sense. Adjust. To me, it makes sense that you also need to 
So you have to have a structure in place. This goes back to your hiring process. You need to have a really solid, well thought out, put together hiring process as well, because this just strengthens your ability to set those training goals and put the elements into place so that you can actually find the people that are going to be best suited for your organization. Absolutely. And we should say, don't just talk to the education providers and the managers and say, hey, how did we do with this program? Talk to the participants. There's one for you. Talk to the people who've completed or undergoing the apprenticeship. We survey, endlessly survey, probably annoy them, but we offer little gift vouchers and things to our apprentices. So you gamified it. (laughs) We're always asking them, how would you like to receive communication? Young people don't want emails. There's a lot of things that companies will persist in systems and they say, oh no, kids these days don't respond. Well, they don't respond because it's the way that you're interacting with them. So you need to say, well, what can we do with our program that we can do to make it really enjoyable for the participants? And that is going to drive a better quality program because you want to have strong engagement from the people running the program, but people in the program, you really want this to be seen as the bedrock of the rest of their careers. Got it. So step five. So step five, brand and identity is really important. Um, There's a program, if people wanted to look at a great program with a brand that's been around for many years, Apprenticeship Carolina. That brand, if you talk to people about apprenticeship programs that are nationally recognized, it's got a great brand. The apprentices know it, the employers know it, the government knows it, it's nationally recognized. And this is a great thing. It means that someone can get a qualification with that organization, travel to a surrounding state, travel to another country, and the chances are that someone's actually heard of it. And I think that identity is really important. Don't do it as the first thing, but I think having a brand, having an identity, and the most successful programs I've built have a brand. It seems that you're setting your company aside by just having an apprenticeship program because a lot of companies don't. So that's an added value that you can use at a lot of companies. It's not another me too thing. Absolutely. People say to me, well, this is going to be a one hit wonder. I've been in apprenticeship since I was 17 and I'm now just over the 50s mark there. Apprenticeship isn't a fad. I think the way that it's been done in the US, I think there's been a lot of confusion and that hasn't helped the word, but I think people are now getting to the flow of what an apprenticeship is. The German apprenticeships are fantastic probably a little bit structured and rigid, but the best model for an apprenticeship for you or your company or for the US actually is a hybrid model. Take the best of what other people are doing. Maybe do have a look at Germany or Switzerland. Have a look at Australia. Have a look at the UK. Have a look at what other people are doing in your industry and then build a program that's right for you and right for your company. And that is going to give you competitive advantage. And then the final sixth step would be what? We talked about it, but it's this idea of developing an ongoing evaluation process. You have to be relentless. I would go so far as to say, don't start the program if you're not going to put step six in there, because the only way that you're going to keep this program just going from strength to strength, and remember, you've got to keep coming back and saying, why are we doing this? We want to drive, we want to attract better people to our organizations. We want to retain people. If you're doing it to attract and retain and develop people, you need to evaluate it. And it's a great recruiting tool just across the board. If you've already got people that have gone through your apprenticeship program, and then you want to retain them and keep them in your company as a full-time employee, it's invaluable. Absolutely. And people are already vetted and bought in. 
two or three key takeaways that you can give the audience that can plug into their business today? I'd like to go there again with another one we talked about, which is that employers need to broaden their view about who it is they might employ. I'm talking beyond diversity here. Younger people, older people, veterans, more women. There's all sorts of different things that companies can do. Don't just say, well, this is the way we've done things around here, or this is the position profiles or the position descriptions that we're using. Start to repack and say, how can we do things differently? This is a great moment in time. So broaden your view on who it is you might employ. Okay. Was that only one? Oh, that you was said, one. Oh, you yeah, said two or three. Oh, two or three. Yeah, oh, yeah, well. whatever. Okay. Whatever well, I've got to give a shout out to young people. I said they've been disproportionately affected. Even if you're not going to employ a young person at this point in time, if you're a company and you've got the capacity to give a young person, I call it, give a kid a go. If you've got an opportunity right now to get a young person engaged, get them out of the house, disconnect that device and get them back, <laughs> get them back from this virtual world back into the real world, get them back into this time frame, spend some time. And a great way to start is to ask them. The first question you say is, tell me something about you. You watch a young person when you say that to them, they'll take a step back and like, what? You interested in what what I'm interested in build up that rapport and then give them an opportunity to see some things in your company because and otherwise elders too well, give them we, a shot as well. well look, yeah. g- give everyone a shot. Yeah. I mean, give everyone a shot to reskill, refresh, reboot, or restart, or a stars. Talented hires come from the most unexpected places a lot of times. Absolutely, I wrote a blog about that once, but that's Did another. You really? That's another whole program. Did I read it? It was well. It was the <laughs> it was the best place to find your next great hire, and that's look internally. Shoot, Nicholas, we're just about out of time for today's show. I want to thank you so much for your time investment today and welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of our community can reach you, find out more about you? Um, Look, LinkedIn's always a great way. Social media, you'll find me on Twitter, Nicholas underscore Wyman. Send me a direct message on iwsiamerica.org. There's some resources, including that It's Time booklet, which has got some of those tables we talked about, difference between apprenticeship, an internship. Awesome. Thanks to our listening audience for tuning this week's episode of Higher Power. A quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. We're listening and we welcome your feedback. After all, this show is for you, Mr. Entrepreneur or Mrs. Entrepreneur or whatever entrepreneur you are. Join the Higher Power Radio community at Hire. That's H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com. Or you can drop me an email at rick at stridesearch.com. Tune in next Tuesday with my guest, Vince Thompson. He's the founder and CEO of Melt. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success. Rick Gerard.